Hello, Midnight Myth listeners, and welcome to the Midnight Myth Time Machine. We're publishing our back catalog week by week to make it available on your favorite podcast listening platforms. What you're about to hear is episode 19, Don't Break the Rules, which originally aired in 2017. In this episode, we explore magical systems and story rules via the battle tactics of Harry Potter. Hop in the time machine with us and enjoy episode 19, Don't Break the Rules. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. What is the perfect story? Does it exist? Is there a tangible formula? Has the perfect story ever been told? And if so, are we simply trying to retell the story over and over? This podcast is called The Midnight Myth, and somewhere between the black of night and the break of dawn, there is a story, and it's perfect. My name is Derek Jones. And my name is Laurel Hostack. Welcome to The Midnight Myth. So I'm watching Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. And I started kind of thinking about that movie and then the Harry Potter universe at large. So like run with me, Laurel, run with me, audience. And Harry Potter, Prisoner of Azkaban is a little tiny piece of jewelry that Hermione Granger has that allows her to be in two places at once, essentially. She can be a place, reverse time, and be another place at the same time, right? Right. Right. What's that thing called again? I know you know it's the name. It's called a time turner. A time turner. Right? And she Hermione her... uses it to attend multiple classes on campus that are happening at the same time. Nerd. Anyway, got me thinking about other aspects of the Harry Potter universe. So in Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, they go to a Quidditch match, right? In that match, they go to a tent. They walk into the tent. The tent is bigger on the inside in a sort of Doctor Whoian Tardisy fashion. Right. Right. Another point. So we flash forward to the Deathly Hallows. Hermione Granger has this little, like, cute little carry-on purse that's apparently like a Dungeons and Dragons uh infinite bag of holding. Yeah, that or she Mary just, Poppins bag, yeah. Yeah, she just like packed in tons and tons of shit. Presumably, when she goes in there, the bag stores things in some like alternate magic dimension, right? Sure. Then you have things like evaporating, which is essentially teleporting really quickly and coolly. Yeah, it's it's apparating. Apparating. What did I say? Evaporating. Evaporating. No, that that which is, is a, a totally synonym, different thing. Yeah. But- yeah. Then there's port keys. You can touch an object and be transported in another place. Right. Everyone get me here. 
wizards with the right equipment, with the right knowledge. They're the masters of time and space. Ooh. Right? Super cool. So they, they can go anywhere in space and time. And no, not every wizard can do this because um, they A, they don't have the item, or B, they don't have the training or the knowledge. But the right wizards, such as the main characters, Dumbledore, Voldemort, they're the masters of time and space. This got me thinking, and this is totally not a critique, this is just pure fanboy nerd debate. <laughs> There's a big problem with the Battle of Hogwarts. And that problem is their military tactics have not evolved in commensurate to the power that they yield. So what do I mean by that? I mean, a bunch of wizards with wands holding them and just running at each other, shooting light doesn't seem commensurate with a, uh, you know, a class of, of human beings who have mastered time and space. So I'll give you another example of what I'm thinking. So I'm Dumbledore, right? I am the biggest, baddest, awesomest, non-evil wizard in the wizarding world, presumably at least one of the few. I'm the elite. I'm the fucking Dumbledore. Yeah. Right? Order of Merlin, first class. Absolutely. I'm running the most biggest, badass wizard school in all of England and probably all of the wizarding world. I know that Voldemort's back. I know that I'm going to die. I know that a fucking teenager is going to have to stop this evil threat. That's like asking some random kid in boarding school to stop Hitler, some right? Very sensitive teenager. Right? And the best defense I can think of for my school is to have when the dark wizards inevitably will come to attack the school, put up a shield that Voldemort can just disintegrate at will and have a bunch of golems go out. You know, and it's a great scene in the movie book where Professor McGonagall summons those golems and she says that spell and like, Hogwarts is threatened. Do, Do your duty for our school. I'm so glad you went there with me. Always. But well, it made always me, Maggie Smith with you. Yeah. It, uh, oh, I love you. Um, it just got me thinking, man, their military strategy with the power that they have, it's not commensurate. You know, I feel like they could have done more. So I'll give you a tangible example. If I'm the master of space and time, and I have a, well, we'll say a castle to defend, I'm going to transport that fucking castle to another magic dimension so the evil wizards flat out can't fucking attack it. Am I wrong? I'm going to deconstruct a little bit of this. <clears throat> so uh, where do I even begin? It's, a, it's tough to begin. It's a damn good argument. There are rules to this stuff. Yes. I'm glad you said that. Go yeah. on. Yeah. So uh, let's start with the time turner. Okay. So the, the ma masters of time and space argument. It's really interesting because wizards at a glance are all powerful. Like among them in their collective knowledge and their collective ability to, um, to do magic they have there's very little that's out of their control there are some things that are just totally off limits like necromancy like that doesn't happen sort but, of but the deathly hallows is all about yeah but you can't actually bring a person back from the dead that's one thing that is just totally off limits um but yeah so we get a time turner which allows us to uh basically it to turn back time we can find a way uh, so Hermione can go to multiple classes. 
uh, what we get here is an instrument that allows one person or another person who happens to be also touching the time turner to go back like a couple hours at most before things start to implode on themselves. And we're led to believe that time travel paradoxes would like make the universe end. So if they were to encounter themselves in Prisoner of Azkaban as they're, you know, pulling off all of this uh, crazy behind the scenes mischief, if they were to actually see themselves and come face to face with their future selves, we'd be in big trouble. I see. I'm glad you brought that up. So one, uh, what I'm arguing for is purely based upon the rules that I've perceived. I think it would be horrible cinema and horrible literature to do what I said would be possible in the battle of, of Hogwarts. Like it would be so lame if all the dark wizards attacks were like, sorry, we're in a pocket dimension story over. Right. Like it's so much better the way it's done. So I don't think they should have actually changed right. it. So I just want to make that clear for yeah. the record. Do it the way it was done because that was fucking awesome to read and watch. But the time turner, I'm on a battlefield and I can roll back time even seconds, even seconds in a battlefield. I can relive a tactical mistake over again. I'm Hermione and I have that and I don't do that in a battle. I'm shaking my head over here so hard. She I'm really surprised is. you can't hear the mics like falling off of their stands. One of the major rules to this universe is that you can't just have a time turner. Time turners are not things that people have. Time turners are something that maybe people had in the past, like before Voldemort's time, but they were all rounded up and destroyed or held by the ministry in places that you can't get to. So it was a Good very, very big favor that Dumbledore had to call in to get this really insignificant one for Hermione so she could use it for a very innocent purpose. Good point. Very, very. But, so but. This, is not, this is not a power that everybody has access to. This is a magical artifact that it is not possible to get your hands on. Good point. But, but my rebuttal to that with the time turtle. And I, I promise you guys, this debate's going somewhere. Um, my rebuttal to that is the ministry by the end of the story had fallen, completely corrupt, completely into the hands of the Death Eaters. If I'm running the, the wizard government and I'm a dark lord, I'm taking those freaking time turners, right? Like, what the heck's stopping me? Well, if we use a metaphor from today... It would be like you're the president and you're taking over something and there's a, a wing of the White House that is literally off limits to everyone, including the president, and it is locked with an iPhone passcode. See, I don't know if that metaphor holds up underwater. And the reason being, and, and the only reason being is that I'm not talking about a president. I'm talking about a dark lord behind the scenes. So imagine there's a dark lord behind our president. His name is Bannon. Or Just Putin. randomly. We'll call like him Putin. Vladimir Putin. We'll call him Bannon just randomly. I don't pick them up. Those names just, yeah. I don't know where I came so up. So imagine with that. that. Yeah. And there's just a random iPhone passcode that is unhackable. Mm. And that's where the time turners are. I gotcha though. Okay. Right. Um, I, I'm so, with you. So uh, moving on from the time turner, which is not something that you can just have your hands on. Uh, but can I ask, do, does Hermione, not to interrupt, does Hermione have that still? No, no she does not. She gives it back at the end of 
Prisoner of Azkaban. In the book, do we see that in the movie? I don't know if we see that in the movie. I don't know either. It doesn't matter. I'm just curious. All right. So bag of holding on. slash pocket uh, universes slash bigger on the inside. Uh, this is a really nifty piece of magic that is very Mary Poppinsy. It's very Doctor Whoy. Very um, um, Dungeons and Dragonsy. Yeah, and it's not it's not explained into you know a huge huge amount of detail. Right. Like However, it doesn't really need to be. Too, the only right? times that we see a piece of magic like this, uh, it's a relatively small scale. So it's a tent or it's a bag where you can carry a lot of things. It's not something that you can bewitch an entire uh, an entire pocket dimension to hold the castle and multiple um, human beings that can be transported into it. See, just because we don't see that happen, you're drawing the conclusion that it's not within the parameters of the show or of the movie slash the books. I'm not 100% convinced. It's a good argument. But- it's here's, a very good argument. Here's where I'm going to go as well with your idea about transporting the entirety of Hogwarts Castle and all of its inhabitants. To another space and to time. To another space and time. First, I'm going to say that the shield that they put up is one of the most sophisticated pieces of magic in the series because the shields that they are creating... So what, what, I'm just curious, where, where are you getting that from? So you have the best wizards alive mm-hmm. creating force fields around Hogwarts which is already protected by numerous, numerous fields that you know will alarm when uh, when people enter the grounds. Right, like it's already it's really, Hogwarts. really, really You've locked down. You've got Minerva McGonagall at the helm of it. You've got Remus Lupin and Tonks. You have Mad Eye Moody. No, you don't have Mad Eye Moody. Oh, not not at the very end. Yeah, he's very dead. Pour one out for Mad Eye. But you have the best witches and wizards alive working on this uh, this force field to save children. You've got a very sophisticated piece of magic. And we also know this by the fact Good that it point. takes a very long time for the Death Eaters to break through it. They have to work on it really hard before it actually comes down. The only one that can actually do it is Voldemort. Right. Everyone else, whatever they do, it ultimately is unsuccessful. So right. very, very strong argument. So that's how I feel about that force field, which I think is actually a really, really good thing that they do. You're right. I, um, I, I punked that force field pretty hard in my if argument. If we're thinking we can transport the entirety of Hogwarts Castle and all of the children inside of it into a pocket dimension somehow, uh, first of all, we would have to have like Hermione's bag like open and ready so we could put it into there. Oh, oh, I'm not saying they should use Hermione's bag. Right, or some version of that. Something like it, yes. But to imagine this piece of magic that can actually transport a castle is a little little crazy because it also would include magic that would Wingardium Leviosa that shit out of the ground, which has ancient, ancient foundations. Ancient, but e- Excellent phrase there. We are also talking about people. And the, I'm trying to wrap my head around what the rules of that magic would be because I think it would be similar to apparition, uh, to like actually forcing these people to apparate. Uh, as far as I know, there is not really a spell you can do with a wand that will apparate somebody else. I don't think that's a thing in the Harry Potter universe. Correct me if I'm wrong, fellow I mean, nerds. Yeah, I don't think you ever see anything. Yeah, you can't, I mean, you can like blast somebody with a spell, but you can't really move them into another place. But if you were to large scale apparate people, uh, you would run the risk of dangerously injuring all of them or killing them. Because even when you yourself apparate, if you're not 
focusing 100% on where you're going, you can splinch yourself and leave half of yourself behind. So it's not a theory that holds up. Uh, it's not a theory that could be, or it's not a, a suggestion that could be implemented without way many more deaths than actually were experienced in the Battle of Hogwarts. Ah, so you're you're saying that it is possible, but it would be too risky and too dangerous. I'm if, saying even, even, even if, if it's it possible. were possible, yeah. which it's I I don't see any scriptural precedent for it being possible. Well, Midnight Myth listeners, we chime in. Tell us on this debate: Should there be a shift in battle tactics in the Battle of Hogwarts based upon the known rules of the Harry Potter universe, or as Laurel maintains, it is perfectly correct? And we'd like to hear from you. We're, we're kind of front-loading a bit of a game, that which is not our intention yeah, at all. Yeah, it was actually this, kind of fun, though. Yeah, yeah, it was. And this one a little longer. What we want to talk about today are rules to stories. And in particular, we want to talk about magical rules. Um, and the reason why we want to do that is if you're creating a universe that has fantasy, it has magic, it has the unexplained, the author has to have a structure or a rule or rules, pardon me, multiple rules by which that it, it abides by. I personally am of the opinion that there are two general rule archetypes out there in modern pop, pop, pop culture. And I think they both uh, draw from different historical storytelling roots. Nice. Um, if you want, I can outlay both. I would love for you to do that. So I'm going to call school number one, the Star Wars school. Mm. So let's examine the rules of the magic of Star Wars. Uh, real quick, is there an application fee? Can I apply to the Star Wars school, please? Uh, yes. Anyone that would like to uh, cash me on the How cash app, $150,000 will get automatic tuition and graduation. It's not a scam. It's endorsed by President Trump. Um, Woo. Yeah, absolutely. It's real. You'll be a Jedi. You get a stake. I'm kidding. That doesn't work. But anyway. Um, so the Star Wars rules. So what do I mean by that? So what are some general characteristics of the rules of magic? A, it is a discipline by which natural talent is then cultivated by an education system. Jedi and Sith, um, or Knights of Ren, as in The Force Awakens, they're not born, they're made. They take systems of knowledge around someone's propensity towards magical abilities and, and they cultivate that. And with that cultivation, as in happens in the star Wars fashion, there's also an orthodoxy. If you're not familiar with that term, I mean that there is a set belief structure, maybe dogma dogma can be a negative word, but maybe dogma in which the beliefs are around. So, in the uh, Star Wars universe, it's the obvious dichotomy between the light side and the dark side. Right. The dark side uh, have a right out of the gate. As soon as you watch any Star Wars, you know who's on the dark side and the light side. It's most clearly articulated in Empire Strikes Back, in which Yoda outlines the sort of uh, Buddhist-esque style philosophy and we see that immediately juxtaposed with Darth Vader's actions in Empire Strikes Back, which is pursue what you want at all costs and human life is meaningless. Be governed by your passions and ambitions right. and just allow raw power. And that's the greatest good in which 
uh, Yoda would say that there really is no power. It's knowledge and events yeah. that you, you study the Force. And when we talk about the Eastern influences on the Force uh, and on the light side that Yoda explains, we're talking about uh, really Buddhist principles of letting go of desire uh, in order to let go of suffering and allowing the Force to really move through you without without trying. Yeah. In... In Buddhism, there's this idea, well, actually, it predates Buddhism. In ancient Indic into Buddhist thought, Indic meaning Indian religion, there's this idea of the thing called samsara. Mm -hmm. It loosely translates to the cycle of life and death. Yeah. Meaning that everything that's alive will die and be reborn and die and be reborn in this cycle. And the way to escape that, to get to nirvana, is to relinquish desire. Desire keeps us captured in the samsara. And I think... Yoda has this this very uh, um, nuanced sort of philosophy that links up to the idea of breaking through the samsara, whereas Darth Vader is trapped in the samsara. Absolutely. Um, but based upon that, they have these different rules, different styles. Um, if I'm force sensitive, meaning like I could be a Jedi, but I never get trained, I'll never be a Jedi. Yeah, even though you got so many midi-chlorians. Yeah, can we stop talking about metachlorians, please? Yeah. Yeah, it's just making me angry. I know. <laughs> yeah, you know, like, it is funny, but, like, it just, whole other podcast about that. Yeah, no, let's so not. I would say a lot of stories, including Harry Potter, I would put in the Star Wars style of magical rules. So in the Star Wars style, uh, if I can just summarize this to make sure I have it right, you're talking about uh, a subset of magical rules where the storyteller actually gives us a hard and fast orthodoxy where, where we know uh, the structure of it and the, the actual ramifications and implications of what we're talking about. Yeah. If you're a Jedi, this is what you can do. This is what you can't do. This is how you get to do it. If you're a Sith, vice versa, um, very much like I think it's a little more um, elaborate in Harry Potter because it's about going through an education system. Right. You don't get that in Star Wars. And there's a government system and a legal system that At, is very close to the modern, uh, it, it's kind of a shadow government of what we experience in the U.S., in the U.K., and sure. other European countries. And so it feels very close to us and can be very detailed. But in its, like, bare bones, you strip, how does a wizard become a wizard? It bears a lot of similarities to how a Jedi becomes a Jedi. You know, uh, functionally, pragmatically, the mechanics of the story, very different. The nature of their power is very different, but a very like basic structure there that I'd say is the same. Now, then I'd say there's the other style in stories, which I will call the Lord of the Rings style. Now, Lord of the Rings has a very different magical system. It's not explained. There is no root orthodoxy. Uh, there's no real logic to it in the respect that why does Gandalf use a magic spell in one scene, but a sword in another? We're not really, that's never really explained, uh, but we get the sense that Gandalf knows what he's doing and we're okay with that because magic right. is rare. It's elusive. It's not everywhere. Most of the characters don't have access to magic. Right. And there's no explanation to how they became magical. It's like Merlin Merlin kind of defies. No one needs to know why Merlin's Merlin. He's Merlin. He's Merlin. You know, um, 
And I would say another example that has that sort of elusive, like no one knows what Sauron really is. Is he a demon? Is he a human? He's an eye. He made a ring. The ring for some reason makes people invisible, but it's all right. powerful. And, and, and when you structure it that way, you don't need to know more. Right. And the reason for this, and of course, you know, you can, you can read the Silmarillion and you can read, you know, volumes and volumes of uh, J.R.R. Tolkien's writings on the history of Middle Earth and his development of Middle Earth. But if you're just reading the, uh, the Lord of the Rings books and The Hobbit, uh, you're experiencing this from the same perspective and at the same level as the characters who are experiencing it. And so your experience of the story is as informed as it needs to be because it's as informed as the characters. Magic is something that when you encounter it is really stunning and powerful because you don't see it very often and you can't really get that many more answers than you're given because this isn't this isn't the modern world. We don't have easy access to information. We don't have really verified histories. We have oral histories. We have uh, written histories that are biased. We have a very uh, mythological kind of sense of thinking. Yeah. And we see Gandalf in Lord of the Rings the way we should, with awe, with might, with reverence. Right. You know, we're, we're supposed to be blown away. We're supposed to be done with that and being like, holy shit, Gandalf gets to live with the elves? That's a fucking awesome. Yeah. Of course he does. You know, so, and we're supposed to be blown away by the magic of the ring and its corruptive influence. Um, you know, another story that I think does the Tolkien magic style really well is George R. R. Martin's Song of Ice and Fire, and you may know the HBO show. Yeah. That little HBO show, it's somewhat popular. Maybe you've heard of it called Game of Thrones. I'm not familiar. Yeah, it's like the most popular show in the world. And in Game of Thrones, do we know why Daenerys can't burn? I mean, we're like, yeah, she's a Targaryen, of course. But what does that mean? We saw her brother, also a Targaryen, he gets molten um, gold metal on his head and burns to death. Yeah. Why is it that she can't burn and he can? Because she's Daenerys the unburned. Exactly. You don't need an explanation yeah. Yeah, because you get the sense that magic is peppered. It's interlaced within the mythology. And we also get the sense that it's divine. We get the sense that she is, uh, she is somehow divinely ordained to overcome the trials that she does. Well, there's the prophecy of the three-headed dragon stopping the long night and will bring a prize, the rise of the Lord of Light. Mm-hmm. And the character Belisandra in Game of Thrones, if you're familiar, her entire like modus operandi is, oh, I think Stannis is this prophet uh, that's going to do this. And that, our Stannis is the embodiment of the prophecy, excuse me, and he's going to stop the long night. Well, it's actually the whole prophecy. If there's anyone, it's Daenerys. Yeah, duh. That it's about. So it's not that the prophecy is wrong per se. It's that Melisandre backed the wrong person. So you get the sense that she's somehow linked in this divine plot that she's yet to fully understand. Yeah. Hence, she gets magic. She gets protected from fire. You know, That's awesome. And But you don't really need to get Daenerys and to get the story of Game of Thrones. You don't need to scratch that surface because when you structure the style in a more ancient myth where magic is intuitively possible, 
and that the magical actors will act magically and not act magically in accordance to their natural magic abilities. You just accept it because it's that style of story. Right. Now, here's the... Oh, go ahead. And and I think what, what we're getting at here is even though one style of... Uh, one set of these magical rules in the Star Wars vein might seem easier to grasp and might seem more sophisticated because the rules are right there in front of you, uh, that doesn't mean that the Lord of the Rings camp that we're talking about doesn't have rules because we know for a fact that especially Tolkien and Martin as our big examples of this are some of the most prolific in terms of the histories that they write and the amount of supplemental materials you can get on these worlds that they created. So they're not lazy. They're not not creating rules. They are just allowing us to understand those rules on a more intuitive level. Exceptionally good point. Yeah, they're not skirting it. They're saying, you know, if you've ever played Dungeons and Dragons, which I have, you've ever been a dungeon master. When you're a dungeon master, you're essentially creating a story that other people can live in. Total fun, super nerdy. Um, If you've never done it, it's a great hobby, a lot of work. It's really fun. But you have to make a decision as the dungeon master how prevalent, pardon me, is magic. How much magic is in the universe that you're creating? Well, Tolkien and Martin, they answer the question and say very little. Yeah. Very, very little, right? And when you get it, it's incredibly exceptional. Yeah, it, it kind of makes it a little more special. And I don't mean to interrupt, but no. I would love to just recommend that people go back and listen to our Lord of the Rings podcast because we address a lot of this, how we, uh, when we talk about uh, where Lord of the Rings begins, we're coming in during the third age. So we're seeing a world that's in decline and in decay and magic that is a lot more scarce. And I think that does increase the amount of specialness that you get from that. Anyway, go on. Yeah. Now in Star Wars... Everyone has the force in them. It's part of the fabric of the universe. The force is an explained and knowable phenomenon that if you have enough sensitivity to it, you can be trained to wield it. So there can be a planet in the outer rim. And if you're familiar with the stars mythology, those are the far planets. They're not really fully part of sort of the galactic community. They're way out in the outer rim. You could have a planet in the outer rim that's never seen a Jedi or a Sith and have people that know and can use the force. Right. It's a, it's ridiculously widespread religious system and it bears so many, we already mentioned Buddhism, but it bears so many parallels to uh, the way that the modern world and even the ancient world that, that we live in uh, experiences and diffuses religion. Absolutely. So, um, So where is all this going? So I'll give you guys an example of why I think it matters in crafting a story. Midichlorians. Go on. Sorry. I just, I, I, ah, rah, midichlorians make me mad. (laughs) They make me so mad. I totally lost my train of thought. Where is all this going? Why do you think we need rules? Uh, Oh, yes. So where, where this is all going. So in, in terms of storytelling, so imagine this. Imagine you're watching Lord of the Rings, and let's say your favorite character is Gimli, and you're watching the movie for the first time or reading the book. Doesn't matter. Metaphor holds up. And it's the third book. And Gimli goes to a magic class and comes out, out of the magic class 
and then is just casting fireballs right on the battlefield. What now? That would stick out like a sore fucking thumb, right? You'd be like, what the hell is this? Gimli is just out here casting fireballs because he went some to Harry a, Potter shit. Yeah, like he's got a magic wand and he can just like throw fire all of a sudden. This, but how is this possible? Whereas conversely, imagine if you're watching Star Wars and suddenly there's one person that can use the force and it's Darth Vader and no one else can. That's not fair at all. Totally different story, right? Yeah. Or that one person's Obi-Wan or Yoda, you know, um, it would stick out like a sore thumb. When it comes to crafting your narrative, you got to figure out to what extent are the rules and once you set that playing field as an audience member, I'm going to live within those parameters. Yeah. And where it breaks down is where you go outside. And I'm like, well, hold on. That doesn't make sense Like with what we'd seen up to this point. Yeah. And it reminds me a little bit of uh, something that a screenwriting t- uh, professor taught me when I was in school. And that's that when you're crafting your story, you get one big buy. And that's if you're writing a fantasy, a sci-fi, or a chick flick, or a romance, or just a typical period drama. You get one big buy. And what I mean by that is that when you first introduce your story to your audience, they're ready. Like, they they want to buy into something. And so you get this one chance to tell them what it is they're going to buy into. So Star Wars, big buy. It's a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. All right. Audience member, I'm bought in. Cool. Show me a galaxy far, far away a long time ago. Uh, and everything that everything that happens magically, everything that happens uh, in battle, all of the characters and the way they interact with each other, all of this stems directly from a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. They happen to have this religious system that has this sort of magical undercurrent of it. But that's not inconsistent with my understanding of a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And they're not asking me to go much further than that. Yeah, the whole purpose of the Force is that it binds this galaxy together. Absolutely. Not every galaxy will have the Force. Right. So you you got me. I bought in and you got me. And Harry Potter, the big buy is that there is magic and there are people who are wizards and there are people who are not. You got me. Anything that goes much further than that and you're going to lose me. The idea here is that once the audience makes that first intellectual purchase from you and you try to overspend, you try to go outside of your budget and introduce an inconsistent element of the narrative or an inconsistent rule, then you've blown it. Then then the audience goes, I didn't buy that. Yeah. The suspension of disbelief is gone, even if we're watching something like Star Wars or Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings that is objectively unrealistic, that is fantasy. So the idea is, as an audience member, I'm going to go in wanting to buy something, but once I've bought it, don't try and tell me to buy something else. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more, and I think there's a further lesson to be gleaned. Mm -hmm. And I think... We need to kind of pause and reflect. So why talk about magical rules? Why talk about it right now on the midnight myth? Well, I think the, one of the reasons why it's important to me, I won't speak for Laurel, is it kind of feels 
like outside of the realm of story and entering the realm of the real, that the rules just don't seem to matter as much anymore. In particular, when powerful people seem to be able to break them with impunity. And I think it's up to us to say, know that those do matter. And hey, you've, 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 I gave you the big buy, and now you are going outside of that big buy and to actually do something about it when that breaks down. And if it sounds like I'm beating around the bush, you know, I'm, should I be specific? Yeah. So I'm specifically talking about the fact that Donald Trump left the, the Paris Climate Accords, a rule, a parameter, an agreement from the planet to do something about a problem that f- affects the planet, and then they sit there and say, nah, not going to do that. I'm talking about every time I seem to turn on the TV or boot up my smartphone, I get another notification about another person colluding with another person who's colluding with another person to cyber attack our country. The idea is that the rules actually matter and they matter in storing. And once we stop buying in, once we all say we don't buy into this anymore, well, the rules of Star Wars are equally as fictitious as the rules of America. Hard leap there, right? Yeah. Hard leap there. But what I mean by that, there's nothing that says that a free market-oriented uh, liberal democracy, and I say liberal not in the I'm a liberal, I'm a conservative, liberal in the idea that kings don't fucking make the rules. People make the rules. The original liberal, you know, so a liberal democracy that there's nothing that says that that is intuitively the way we have to organize society. We made that shit up. Yeah, because we thought it was probably the best we could do. And, well, Winston Churchill, famous quote, democracy is a terrible form of government. It's just the best form we've found yet. Right? And when we see that these rules are crumbling and breaking all around us, uh, we got to stop. And it only exists as long as we buy in. It's not that we have to stop buying in. We need to start putting those parameters back. Let me tell you guys, it's ugly out there. It's really, really ugly out there. Before you know it, the time turners are going to be out of the secret vault of the White House. And like Derek's going to be trying to rip up the ancient foundations of Mar-a-Lago and trying to force it into a pocket universe. And it's going to be, it's going to be really gross. There's going to be like expired fish everywhere and just like splinched steaks. It's just going to be, it's going to be brutal. And folks, I don't want to tell anyone what to believe, but, you know, remember at the end of the day, all of this, everything, it's all made up, right? There's no reason why our system is the way it is. We all have the power to do something about it. We can all create our own galaxy if we want to. And it comes time for us to just, sit there and pause and reflect and be like, God damn, is this what we want to be? Do we want to be a world of corruption with polluted air, polluted water, and just open rampant corruption and alignment with authoritarians? Is that what, is that what we are? Is this the narrative that we want for our country? Yeah. And uh, I know that's kind of heavy and it's kind of political and it started fun and it started nerdy, but you know what? I don't care. This is my podcast and I just want to say it. Word. Um, game? Let's play a game. 
we kind of started with the game, but we're going to start with the game and end with the game. Um, and I'll get off my, my political soapbox here. So do your thing, Laurel. Yeah. So every week here on the Midnight Myth podcast, somehow we find a way to get real, even in the uh, episodes where we think we're going to go a little bit lighter. Uh, but then we like to play a little game to sort of lighten the mood. Uh, and we would love for you to play along at home. So please tweet us your responses at the Midnight Myth on Twitter or search the Midnight Myth podcast on Facebook or drop us a line on the website. That's www.midnightmyth.com. So the game this week is if you could choose one rule and this is one rule of nature, like one rule of physics that you could break, what would it be and why? And I could break with impunity. I could break it when I yeah. want, or when I break it, it's broken and broken for everybody. I think it's bro- broken and broken for everybody. Oh, so I'm breaking the law of physics. Yeah. For everyone, You're not like just me. doing it. Unless you want oh, to do it the other way. That makes it a lot way. harder. Yeah. Because then I have to think through the ramifications of what if this is broken for everyone. I was just thinking I don't of have what my it's broken response for me. yet, so I have no idea. But yeah, do it so it's broken for you. So it's just broken for me. I can break a law of physics with impunity when I want and how I want. What law of physics would I break? Well, I'm going to just be able to break gravity anytime I want. Ooh, break gravity. Yeah. Now, a lot of people think, oh, you just want to fly, right? It does sound like you just want to fly. Fuck that. I don't want to just fly. I want to be able to move mountains, right? If I can control gravity and break it with impunity, I can do whatever I want because gravity holds everything together. But... Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, yeah, I think I get it. Um, so I can where, go. Where I, I get hung up on that is that I, I don't think you can exert a whole lot of control when you break gravity. Because if you just break gravity on like a localized area, like on a mountain, yeah, I break gravity in the mountain. The you break gone. it and it just goes. Like, I can pull it back like, down though. Oh, okay. I don't know. This is a tough one. It is a tough one. I, I was honestly sitting there being like, think of a law of physics, gravity. And then I just said gravity. It is a really good, good answer. Because I feel like, I guess it's not just break gravity. I want to control gravity. So I kind of broke the rules of yeah. the game a little bit. Like I was thinking controlling gravity. Telekinesis. Yeah, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, essentially. I could control gravity with my mind, which is telekinesis. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's what I was thinking. So I kind of didn't do the game appropriately. No, but I like it. I like it. It's a good exploration of gravity, which I think is probably an, uh, a desirable response to that question. And the other thing is, is, and I'm going to be completely honest. I don't know that many laws of physics. (laughs) I really don't. So it's like, uh, like what, what the old, what comes up must go down. Yeah. Gravity motion, Uh atom splitting, uh, unstoppable force and movable object. Yeah. We're delaying because now it's your turn. This is a hard game. I've got it. Uh, if I can break one law of, of nature, one law of physics, I'm breaking the arrow of time. I have no idea what that means. The arrow of time is the concept that time only moves forward. Uh, and so there are certain things like... Good answer. Yeah. So there are certain things that you could watch in a, in a video, like a diver di- diving off of a diving board, uh, that if you played it backwards wouldn't make sense because you can't dive out of a swimming pool and onto a diving board. But if I can break the arrow of time and time can move both forward and backward, 
then you can undo heat death of the universe for one would be like the big, the big one. You could undo really horrible things that happen uh, with entropy in the universe. It could undo global warming. And I could just perceive time as a continuum. So in like a sort of brand like way. Oh my God. You could be Dr. Manhattan. Yeah. I could be Dr. Manhattan. Wow. Who perceives the past and the present all as one. Yeah. And so you would see this like overwhelming from arrival. I can see. Yeah. I can see this overwhelming continuity. Oh God. I hope nobody hasn't seen arrival. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. The end. We won't, we won't say that again. Cause if you missed it, just don't rewind. All right. I think that's uh, I think that's all I got today. Yeah. Well, uh, I think that's all I got until next time, guys. Be kind. Don't break the rules. <laughs> <laughs>